Well, hey, since it is uh, Mother's Day, I, I think that we need to kind of just talk about this a little bit more and celebrate all the women because there are moms out there that might not have children, but they are raising children. There are women that are making huge impacts in our world today. And personally, I just love to celebrate all women. So we could just say thank you to all the women out there today. I don't even know how to follow up that last song that we just experienced. So thank you. Let's give it up for women right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, so that being said, um, men, I think you and I just need to kind of have a quick conversation here. Um, see, because here's the deal. Um, if you get today right, it will pay dividends off for the rest of the year. All right? This is a big deal. Men, this is our Super Bowl. And big-time players make big-time plays and big-time games. We've got a big game ahead of us, and there's a lot on the line. Because as the great theologian... Jeff Foxworthy once said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. All right, so here's the deal, men. I I, want to make sure that you're successful today. So I'm going to give you a pop quiz, and there's going to be answers A, B, C, or D. And then after that, I'll reach out, and you answer the right question. Now, men, if you get one of these wrong, at that moment, just go ahead and stand up. I'll look for you. Go ahead and walk out, and I'm going to preach for the next two and a half hours and give you some time to get it right and get ready for today. All right. Here we go. All right, so here's the first question. Here's the first question. One of the keys to creating a Mother's Day experience is creating a Mother's Day lunch experience. So many Mother's Days have fallen apart because moms waited in line at some chain restaurant. Now, what is your plan, men, to ensure a wonderful Mother's Day lunch experience? Is it A, a big bucket of KFC to enjoy and eat on the couch? Is it B, nothing. You're just going to stay in here after church and eat popcorn and watch the next showing of Avengers. All right. Is it C, you're going to let mom choose what she wants to cook on Mother's Day? Or is it going to be D, you're going to take a minute, ask her where she wants to go, and then go do that? D. All right. Good job, man. It's off to a great start. That was an easy one, but they're going to get tougher from here. Here we go. All right. Mother's Day is not just about the meal, it's about the gift. Now, the gift is a high-pressure, high-expectation situation, all right? Now, what is your plan for a gift? Is it A, the gift of quality time together every Sunday afternoon with NFL Sunday ticket? All right. Is it B, the gift of health with a Chuck Norris Total Series home gym? Is it C, the gift of empowerment with a Swiffer, wet jet, all-in-one mopping system? It's not that one. All right. Is it D, don't try to be a hero, ask her what she wants to get, and then get that? D, all right, all right, two for two. All right, here we go. Question number three, this is the last one. Mother's Day is a full day. It's 24 hours. It's not just an afternoon. After you go to lunch and you give the gift, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? Is it A, give mom some quality time with the kids as you go get quality time playing golf? All right, is it B, Give mom some alone time to clean up the house while you nap. Is it C, give her a time of togetherness while you pop in Die Hard 3 and ask her to join it with you? Is it D, ask her what she wants to do and then go do that? D, all right, let's give ourselves a round of applause, man. We get pretty much nothing right, but you got that right today. Good job. 
Good job. Well, hey, we are in the story, uh, as we said earlier, and the story is a, an abridged chronological version of the Bible. Here's what this means is we as a church, we really just want to understand the Bible better. And so we're doing this year long series. And if this is your first time here with us, I'm so glad that you came. We've got one of these with your name on it over at the welcome table. So go check out one of those. We'd love to gift that to you. Uh, The other thing is, is we're in this mini-series called Monsters, so we're kind of breaking these up throughout the year. Uh, And so I can't go any farther without announcing this week's monster drawing contest from our very own children's ministry. So each week, they're submitting these monster drawings. You can go online and submit those uh, and then turn them in, and then we kind of randomly pick a drawing. So it is my privilege, it is my honor to announce that this week, Logan McEwen is the monster. Check this guy out. Yeah. It kind of worked out great, yeah, because he, he drew a little heart there just for mom. So, uh, Jenny, I'm so glad that you get that. Make sure you get to enjoy some pizza as well. Well, last week we studied this monster called failure. And the thing about failure is, is that it tries to beat you down and tear you apart and do everything it can to just mess you up. Now, this week's monster is kind of the opposite. Because this week's monster tries to build you up and give you a false sense of identity. This week's monster is pride. Now, I want to just kind of quickly kind of define pride because there is several different kind of translations and meanings of this. So here's the first one. It's a deep pleasure or satisfaction in an achievement, accomplishment, thing, or person, right? So pride can be a, a good thing sometimes, right? Now, let's look at the other meaning of this. It's conceit, egotism, Vanity over one's appearance or status in life. Here's what we have to understand about this, is that this is an inwardly directed emotion, okay? So what we're doing when we're talking about pride is we're talking about moving our confidence from in God to in ourselves, all right? Now, the first uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament uses this really fun word to describe pride, and, and this is what it says. It's huperephanos, huperephanos. Huperephanos. And what huperephanos means is it means showing oneself above others, overtopping, overweening estimate of one's means. All right? And so sometimes pride can be a positive thing, but today we're really going to focus on the negative because it's mentioned a, a few positive times in the Old Testament, but it's actually mentioned negatively 61 times. So it's predominantly a bad thing. Now, here's what God's word says about pride. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, it says, The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. It's a pretty big deal. Check out verse 18. It says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Maybe you've heard uh, this shortened a little bit. It says, Pride comes before the fall. Have you heard that before? That's kind of where this comes from. And the thing is, is that God's word really speaks against pride because pride is a pretty big deal. Because it's the root and it's of a lot of sins and a lot of mistakes and a lot of consequences, kind of the root of that. And when we really look into that, we can read from Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel's one of the prophets that we read in chapter 17. And one of the things that, that he writes in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 is he actually writes about this king. And it's this earthly king, but really what Ezekiel's talking about is he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. And what we learn and what God's word tells us is that God created Satan as this anointed cherub. He was perfect. He was beautiful. And Satan had a very cool job. His job was to lead the worship towards God in heaven. 
And so God created him and just, again, he was so beautiful. He had these harps and horns and string instruments and all these cool things kind of built into his body. And then he would lead the worship in heaven and direct it towards God. But the problem happened is when pride began to get in there inside of Satan and he started to direct that worship that was supposed to be pointed at God, he started to point it at himself. And so this is what Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17 says. This is, this is God talking to Satan. He says, your heart became proud on your account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made you a spectacle before kings. And here's the thing about pride. The way that I like to look at pride is it's kind of like having a flat tire on your car. And when you're driving with a flat tire, everybody can see that you have a flat tire. And in fact, you feel that flat tire more than anybody else. And if you keep driving with that flat tire in your car, you're going to damage your car. And the same thing is with our pride. Now, when we get a flat tire on our car, the best thing, the most appropriate thing to do is to stop right there on the road and pull over and fix the problem. And that's what we need to do with our pride. So that's kind of what we're going to be jumping in and diving in to today. So in this story, in this book, uh, chapter 17, uh, you can read that. We're going to open that up if you've brought that with you or given that to you today. That's at pages 231 and 232. Or you can open up your Bibles, whether it's a phone or an iPad or whatever you got, uh, and you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. One. Now, at this point in the story, just to kind of recap, God makes these promises to Abraham and Moses way back when. He says, hey, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to chase after those people. He even tells this guy named David that he's going to send the Messiah through him, and he's going to reconcile everything and send this guy named Jesus. Now, even though God's people fail to obey, because what happens is this one nation kind of splits in the two, and you've got the northern kingdom of Israel, and you've got the southern kingdom of Judea. And the problem is, is that these two nations are now weaker because they've been split. So the northern kingdom of Israel gets taken off to captivity by the Assyrians to Assyria in 722 B.C., so to find out what happens to the southern kingdom, we're going to check out 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, uh, before we, we, we dive into this too much, when you first open this and look at chapter 17, you see this guy named Manasseh. And before we talk about Manasseh as an adult, I really want to dial back and talk about Manasseh as a child. And to see that, we got to go back one chapter to 2 Kings chapter 20, and we're going to be talking about Manasseh's father, Hezekiah. So everybody say Manasseh. Manasseh, that's the son. Everybody say Hezekiah. That's the dad. These are both great boy names. If this is something that you're looking into, they're both available. Not very popular for some reason. Here we go. So in 2 Kings chapter 20, we learn that Hezekiah, he's this good king, but he becomes terminally ill. He gets sick. And um, this prophet named Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he says, hey, here's what the Lord says, Hezekiah. He says, you're going to get sick. You're going to die. This is what God says. So go and get your house in order. What he's saying is, is you're getting ready to die, prepare for this. So Isaiah turns around and he starts to walk away. And as this is happening, Hezekiah just begins to cry out to God. And he's praying and he's saying, God, like, I've been loyal to you. I've been faithful to you. God, please heal me. I want to continue to live. I do not want to die. God, please heal me. And so 
Isaiah hasn't even fully left the courtyard yet, and he turns around because God says, I've got another message for Hezekiah. So Isaiah walks back in to Hezekiah, and he says, this is what God has said. He says, you are going to live another 15 years. And the Assyrian army, they're going to come after you, but I'm going to protect you from them. So three days later, Hezekiah's all set. He's better. He's completely healed. And it's this miracle. Now, what I want to talk about is how Hezekiah responds to that. Because at this time, God sends the son of the king of Babylon over to Hezekiah to see where Hezekiah's heart is in all of this matter. You can read about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And so he sends uh, the son of the king of Babylon over to talk to Hezekiah. And he says, hey, I heard you were sick. Like, I heard you was this miracle and you got better. Like, what happened? What's going on? And instead of Hezekiah really giving God all the credit in this, he begins to tell this, uh, these Babylonians, hey, look how great I am. Look at all the, the treasure that I have. I mean, I was sick. Now I'm well. I mean, things are going great now. Look how rich I am. And he's showing them all the storehouses. And he's really focusing on these earthly things, this stuff. And so pride is really, really evident in his heart. So Isaiah the bearer of bad news, comes back to Hezekiah and he says, hey, what's going on over here? Who are you talking to? And Hezekiah's like, oh, this guy's from far off. He doesn't really want to answer Isaiah because he knows what's going on inside of him. And Isaiah keeps pushing and he says, what were you doing? And Hezekiah admits, he said, I was just showing off everything. There was not a single thing that I did not show them. And so um, then at this point, we really see what happens. And Isaiah says to him, and he looks over, and he says, hey, because of this, because of this is where your heart is and how you've reacted to this, all of this is going to be carried off to Babylon. Everything that you've shown, all this stuff that you've been shown is going to be carried off. This is Hezekiah's response, 2 Kings chapter 20. This is what he says. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, if God says it, it must be good, but... He was thinking to himself, it won't happen during my lifetime. I'll enjoy peace and security as long as I live. So Hezekiah was prideful, and this is a problem. He was full of himself and his own well-being and all of his riches. Now, Hezekiah eventually ends his time on earth with a humble heart. But the reason that I want to tell that quick story is because something that's very interesting to me is this is the time in his life when Manasseh was growing up, his son Manasseh that was going to become king. This is a highly crucial developmental part of the stage of his childhood, and this is how he sees his dad acting. And I think, again, the pride comes before the fall. There's going to be some consequences for this. All right. So now we're at 2 Kings chapter 21, and uh, Manasseh is 12 years old. And so that's the first thing that we read in that. And then it talks about his mother, Hephzibah. Now, Hephzibah, again, another great name, guys, if this is what you're looking for. Hephzibah, uh, her name means my delight is in her. Oh, husbands, boyfriends, fiancés, this is the day to show that special someone that your delight is in her. All right. I love this name because uh, the prophet Isaiah actually uses this name as the church. And he says, this is the way that God loves the church is his delight 
is in us. That's you, that's me. And so today, again, we can celebrate women because our delight is in them, and I think that that's really cool. Um, now, there's this other thing that's happening is this is kind of like a 10-year period where we really don't see that. So Manasseh becomes king at 12 because, again, at their time, at that time in that culture, 12 years old was about the time where you really became adult. That was like where you seen you can make decisions and do things. And so he's kind of co-reigning with his dad here at this point for about 10 years. And then he's 22, and his father's passed away, and he's really become king at this point. And this is why it's so difficult to be a mom. Because Hevzebah watches her son completely destroy all the good works that her and her husband, Hezekiah, had done. Last week, we learned about Hezekiah had tore down altars, and he did all these things and started to point people towards God. Manasseh said, no, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do. And so he begins to build all these altars back up, and he begins to do everything, and it's, it's just bad. It's witchcraft, it's mediums, and it's worse than anybody else. And so he takes people farther away from God than what they've ever been. Now, here's God's response to this. And we read this in 2 Kings 21, verse 10. It says, Then the Lord said through his servants, the prophets, King Manasseh of Judah has done many detestable things. He is even more wicked than the Amorites who lived in this land before Israel. He has caused the people of Judah to sin with his idols. So this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will bring such a disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear it will tingle with horror. I will judge Jerusalem by the same standard I used for Samaria and the same measure I used for the family of Ahab. I will wipe away the people of Jerusalem as one wipes a dish and turns it upside down. Then I will reject even the remnant of my own people who are left, and I will hand them over as plunder for their enemies. Pride is a big deal. And God sends people into Manasseh's life to try to make the corrections. But Manasseh is so filled up with pride that he continues to push people even farther. If you keep reading on that section, and we ended at 14, if you keep reading down to 16, it says that Manasseh filled the streets from one into the next of Jerusalem with blood. I mean, this is a really, really bad guy. And God says, okay, enough. I'm going to empty them like you empty out a bowl. Now, this is kind of tough to talk about. But here's what we have to keep in mind and and understand is that God is in the business of redemption, okay? God is in the business of redemption, and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for I to forgive us of our sins so that we could live in eternity with him. I love the way that Bob Goff says this. He says, we weren't just an idea God hoped would work out someday. We were one of his most creative expressions of love ever. And that's why we're celebrating women today is because of those creative expressions that they have for people. And the thing is, is just like a child needs to be disciplined and corrected, the people of Judea and Manasseh included especially need to be corrected and disciplined. So this is the way that 2 Chronicles chapters 33 uh, verses 10 says. Now, again, really quick here. uh, 2 Kings is kind of telling one side of the story and the same time we can look over over in 2 Chronicles and see kind of a different perspective of the same event. So that's why they're kind of together in the Bible when you look at those first and 2 Kings and then first and 2 Chronicles, is they're really telling a lot of the same stories from a different perspective. So if you're looking
looking through your Bible and you see that, understand that's kind of what's going on. So we're going to jump over to the other perspective. And in verse 10 through 11, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored his warnings. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. Now, do you remember the people that Hezekiah was showing off all his goodies to, right? He was showing off all of his stuff. It's like MTV Cribs, and he's going around showing everybody what, who was that to? The Babylons, the Babylonians, the Assyrians were in control of them, and that's who Hezekiah was showing off to, and now those same guys are there back to take away all that stuff. God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah to make some corrections about his prideful heart. He made some corrections, but Manasseh ignored him. So here's where the discipline comes in. Here's where the consequence comes in. Again, God is in the business of redemption, and the currency is the removal of our pride. So here's what happens next. Second Chronicles 33, verses 12 through 13. It says, But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone was God. So Manasseh humbles himself and he pleads. And God redeems him, frees him up physically and emotionally and sends him back. And Manasseh begins to try to undone every bad thing that he's done as the leader. And he's got a lot of work to do. And for the rest of his life, he spends his life and his time doing this. Now, here's the summary of chapter 17 in the story when we read this week. It's a difficult chapter to read because God offers to free us from the guilt of our sins, but not an escape for our consequences. All right? He offers to free us from the guilt of our sins, but he does not offer an, an, an escape from our consequences. So God graciously offers the people of Judah many opportunities um, to repent. And, you know, when individual kings repented, God came and saved the day. But the accumulation of wrath begins to, to get so high, and there's a tipping point that happens. And so God continues to send uh, messengers. He sends Jeremiah. He sends Ezekiel to tell these kings, to tell these people, hey, get it together, but they do not listen. And so God sends Nebuchadnezzar in to the southern kingdom of Judea to totally wipe them out and take them back to captivity. And that is what we'll read about in chapter 18, what that captivity looks like. Now, here's the deal. It's pretty standard for churches to get to chapter 17 of the story, and it's just really heavy and hard to hear. Hashtag, thanks, Pastor Kyle, for giving me this message, right, <laughs> on Mother's Day. But at the same time, at the same time here, there's some really, really good news for us this week. And it's this, is that God offers us freedom. God offers us redemption, but it's going to cost us our pride. Okay, now John 3.16 says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe it in him would, would not perish but have everlasting life. And God knows that we're going to make mistakes. He knows that we're going to mess up, right? And because of this, he wants us to spend eternity, and he has this creative expression of love for us. So he sends his Son, Jesus, down to us to not only save us, but help us experience a rich life to the full. 
Now, that's kind of a phrase we've been using a lot as a church recently, this, this experiencing rich life and life to the full. And here's kind of the context of that. In John 10.10, 10, it says this. Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, the thief in that scripture is Satan. This is the guy that got kicked out of heaven for what? For his pride. And Satan is going to try to come and tempt you and destroy you and mess you up to pull you away from God just like he has. And he's going to use pride at that, especially because that's what he's good at and that's what he's full of, right? So here's the deal. This bucket right here represents your life. Now, Satan, what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to get you to fill it with pride and fill it with things about yourself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't need God, right? You got that house because you worked hard and, you know, you deserve it and you're smart with your money, right? He says, okay, that raise that you got, you got that because you earned it, you know, so use it whatever you want to spend it on, right? He says, you know that spouse that you have? Yeah, you got them because you're decently good looking and somewhat charming, right? He says, okay, you know those kids that you have? Well, that's just because that's just a normal thing to happen when you have sex, so enjoy them, do whatever you want, right? Then he says, show off those expensive toys, just like Hezekiah. Show off all the gear that you have because, buddy, you worked hard for that, and that's yours, and you earned it. So go ahead and do whatever you want with that. Then he says, you know what? You have health and no cancer because you're a superior human. You know, it's all about you. Look how great you are. Then he says, you know what? Go ahead. Eat from that center tree because you don't need God. Do you see how our life can begin to fill up with pride and fill up with the wrong Things. Now, here's what Jesus says about this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 5, 6, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Look at this bucket, church. You cannot hunger for righteousness if you are full of yourself. If you don't leave room for Jesus to work, this thing is going to fill up with the wrong things and there's not going to be anything there. And you and I, we're going to be extremely disappointed in our search and thirst for life to the full if this is how we choose to fill up our life, right? Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. Those are all about putting God and other people ahead of us, right? And so Jesus instructs us how to hunger, for the right things. He instructs us how to hunger for God. And this is what he says. This is one of my all-time favorite passages in the Bible. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Here's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, if you want to experience life to the full, it begins with denying yourself. It begins with emptying yourself and losing your life, not filling up your bucket and your life with the stuff that you want, but filling it up with him. What did God say that he needed to do to the Judeans? He said that he needed to wipe them out and empty them out like a bowl. And we've got to do the same thing in our lives. And here's the big idea for today. 
if you want to live life to the full, you must begin with emptying yourself. Now, here's what happens when we empty ourselves and when we empty our life. This is when Jesus can begin to fill it with things like peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of these things so far represent putting God ahead of other people. And he says, you know what? You are blessed with a house, so how can you use that house to minister and help other people? He says, you were blessed with a raise. How can you use that excess income now to do more work in the kingdom and allow more people to come to know my name? He says, hey, you were blessed with a spouse. How can you love them the way that Christ loved the church? Hey, you were blessed with children. How can you raise them up to love God and to love people. Here's the thing. We choose every single day whether or not we're going to be filled with ourselves or with Jesus. That's a daily choice every single day. And if you want to experience a rich, full life, this is how you need to fill it. And this is how you've got to do it. And it begins with emptying ourselves of pride. We got to make things about God and put our confidence back in God, not ourselves. So I want to give you three ways really quick that we can do this. And here's the first one. It begins with emptying your bucket. You've got to remove the things in your life that are keeping you from Jesus. Now, where are you denying yourself in your life? Think about this. Where are you denying yourself in your life in your bucket? If you want God to shape you, if you want God to mold you, you have to present yourself as a moldable piece of clay. Now, maybe there's something in your life that you need to give up. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you're just pushing after that title and that is wrapped up in your whole identity. Now, work is good and work is important. It's important to, to, to have a good job where we can be excellent in that sense. But let me tell you something, church. There is no greater title to have than child of God. Do you believe that? Are you living that out? Maybe some of you guys are in a period of transition and maybe you're looking for that next job and you're trying to figure out what's there and and what's next. And maybe God's gonna put on your heart that, hey, this might look differently than what you anticipate and what you expect because there are some cool ways that I can fill up your bucket in your life, but you need to be willing to deny yourself and go after what it is that I'm calling you to do. Maybe you need to to give up a relationship. Maybe there's an inappropriate relationship that's happening at work. Maybe it's happening in your neighborhood. Maybe it's happening online. And not only will that keep you from experiencing a rich, full life with your spouse, but it will keep you from experiencing a rich, full life in Jesus. Maybe some of you guys are dating right now and you're in that stage of your life and what an exciting stage and time it is to be in your life. But here's the thing, if you just keep chasing after that magical number someone and you are pushing God out of the way, he is not gonna be able to work through you and fill your bucket up with rich life to the full. You've gotta keep making God a priority in your life no matter what stage of life that you're in. Maybe you need to give up a habit. Church, can I tell you something? Pornography is as big of a deal inside the church and as big as a problem inside the church as it is outside the church. And we gotta change that. And that is preventing you from experiencing rich life to the full. 
Maybe you're thinking, oh, this is heavy. I need to dig into this a little bit more. If you go back and and turn into your Bibles, into Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament, the first book of telling how things, this new covenant and this new promise we have with God. If you go back and look at that at Matthew chapter 5 and read chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Jesus gets deep. He gets real. He gets heavy with some things, and he says, this is how you need to be filling up your bucket and looking at things through a different perspective and through a different lens. Now, once you empty your bucket, the next step and the next stage of this is you got to clean your bucket. Clean your buckets. And it's as easy as this. And this is all about what God has done and has done already for you. And that's just asking and seeking forgiveness from God for the sins and the dirty things that you filled up your bucket with and filled up your life with and just letting God forgive you. Let me tell you the truth, church. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, how long you've been doing it, God will always forgive you. He will always love you no matter what. So request and seek and accept that grace that he has for you and that magical gift that Jesus gave us by dying on the cross for our sins. We just have to accept that. So now that you've emptied your bucket and you cleaned out your bucket, you need to guard your bucket to keep it from getting dirty again. Let me ask you something. What guardrails do you have set up in your life? When people start giving you accolades, how do you respond to that? Here's how you defeat that ahead of time. Before you even receive those compliments, you're already saying, God, you know what? This is something really cool that you're doing in my life. And you get the credit. You get the glory. You get the praise for this. This is all you, not me. Man, with social media, this is making it really hard. Because we start getting into these comparison traps and our thumbs are moving on our phones so fast and our brains are intaking so much more than what they were ever designed to intake at such a fast pace. And we're seeing things like jealousy and comparison and we're looking at all these inputs and these desires and there's no way that we can keep up with it. So you've got to learn to battle that ahead of time and put up guardrails in your heart. Satan, his pride started in his heart and it moved to his mind. And I think we're the same way. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. So empty your bucket, clean out your bucket, guard your bucket. Now I want you to fill your bucket. And we as a church, we've been praying at 109 every single day. We've been praying for our church, praying for each other, praying for this project. Let me ask you something. Are you making time to listen to God? Are you making time to hear from him? Is this a two-way conversation? You know, maybe you need to go on a walk sometime this week and say, God, I just want you to put things on my heart. God, show me how I can fill up my bucket right now and just go on a walk and say, as I'm walking, God, put things heavy on my heart. Put it heavy on my mind. You know, physicians will tell you that walks are great for your heart. But I think the great physician thinks walks are great because he can put things on your heart. Maybe you need to just jump into a room and close the door and get in a closet away from everybody and say, hey, God, just just talk to me. Hey, God, put things in my mind. Put things on my soul. God, break my heart for what breaks yours so that I can go out and serve you through that. Show me where I need to make some corrections in my life. Create some space to fill your bucket. The great thing about this is, is that we don't have to do this alone. We can invite other people in to speak into our lives. 
I love Thursday night of this week. I got to sit in someone's living room and sit around with a bunch of my friends that all go to church here, and we get to just lift up one another's burdens up. We, we study, we read the Bible, we learn, and then we say, hey, we're going to just pray for each other. And we share real things for each other. We lift it up. Invite people to speak into your life. This is how Manasseh got in trouble. People came to him, and they tried to speak into it, but he didn't listen. He didn't Listen, guys, don't make that same mistake that Manasseh made. Make this time with God that you spend with him the most important meeting of your day. Put it on your calendars. Make it happen. See, if you want to live life to the full, if you want to experience a rich life in Christ, it must begin with emptying yourself. And this isn't something that just happens once. This is something that happens over and over and over. Luke 9, 23 said, deny yourselves and pick up your cross daily, daily. This is what this looks like. It means that we empty our bucket, we clean our bucket, we fill our bucket, repeat. We empty our bucket, we clean our bucket, we fill our bucket, repeat. Over and over and over, make this a priority. Imagine what your life would look like. Imagine, church. If you began to empty yourself so that God can begin to fill your life with experiences far greater than you ever imagined, imagine what that could look like. You know, maybe, maybe it's peace of mind and heart on a difficult situation. Maybe it's healing of old wounds. Maybe it's greater acceptance of your family or your coworkers. Maybe it's a discovery of who you truly are and who God made you to be. Maybe it's wisdom to make good decisions. Maybe it's forgiveness of yourself and forgiveness of others. Maybe it's spiritual growth and freedom. Maybe it's finally having a pure, good reverence for life. And maybe, just maybe, it's hearing God's voice. What could God fill up your bucket with this morning? It begins with emptying yourself. And so I want you to think about today as you go out and celebrate mom and love her well, where are you at right now? How's your bucket looking? Is it filled or is it filled with the wrong things? Do you need to empty that bucket out today? Do you need to say, God, come in and change me and work in my life, God? I accept you as my Lord, and I'm going to change the way that I live my life. Lord means boss. Just like you change the way you work when your boss is watching, you're saying, God, I know that you're loving and watching me, so I'm going to change the way that I live because you're going to be the boss and the Lord and the Savior of my life. How's your bucket looking? How's your bucket looking? empty yourself today. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you talking about a difficult topic. And God, we lift up our pride to you at this time. God, we've got things in our life that are filling us up in the wrong ways. God, we've got all these temptations and these desires and these comparisons. And God, we can chase after the wrong things. And God, I just pray right now that you would redeem us. God, show us what your rich love fully looks like and fill our lives to the full. Show us what we need to empty our bucket out. God, we love you.
Thanks for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, God, so that we could experience this rich life to the full. Amen. You know, part of a really great way to begin to fill your bucket is with worship. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what kind of stuff you walked in here today. But a great way to fill your bucket is just saying, God, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to surrender to you. God, I'm a terrible singer. God, I'm not really into this song, but I'm going to lift up your name anyways because you are greater than I and your confidence is what carries me, not the confidence that I have in myself. That's what we're surrendering over. Let's sing to God.